0: 1 Peter chapter 1, they say that if you truly want the, the real story on something, ask an eyewitness, that's someone who was actually there. When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there were many who personally witnessed the fact that Jesus Christ was indeed very much alive after his death by crucifixion. In fact, we know there were at least 500 individuals who saw him alive and even spent time with him after his resurrection. Luke says in Acts 1 verse 3 that Jesus showed himself alive after his death by many infallible proofs. Many undeniable, irrefutable proofs or evidences. Such was the case with Simon Peter. He, as we know, was one of the original 12 apostles. He actually was part of what we call the inner circle group of disciples, Peter, James, and John. And he said this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. He says, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Uh, we've not bought into fairy tales or anything like that. He said, but we were eyewitnesses. Of his majesty. In other words, we saw Jesus. We saw Jesus alive. So as the Holy Spirit leads Simon Peter. To write these Christians here in First Peter. These individuals that he was addressing. These Christians that lived in Asia Minor. This was 30 years after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Simon Peter knew that these individuals were weary and discouraged. He knew that, as one writer said, they were being abused by overbearing bosses. They were being threatened by unbelieving spouses. They were being ridiculed by skeptical neighbors and friends. He also knew that the threat of greater trouble and more violent persecution loomed on the horizon for these Christians Man, sounds a lot like the climate we live in today, does it not? Everywhere you look, it seems like there's trouble. There's discouragement on every hand, especially for the child of God. And So he begins here in verse 3 with, with a doxology. And I want you to notice what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, he says, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now ladies and gentlemen, the word lively there is an interesting word. It simply means living. It's a living hope. This word is used in distinction and contrast to that which is dead. And... You know, ladies and gentlemen, that a hope which is dead is no hope at all. No wonder Simon Peter said, look, we have a hope that is alive. We have a living hope. Now, when we think about the word hope that he gave here, what is hope? Well, you and I have our idea of a hope. We, we say certain things like, well, I tell you what, I hope such and such takes place. I hope my Cowboys will finally win another Super Bowl. I hope the Braves can get a bullpen. I hope my Heels can win the championship next year. Probably not going to happen. I hope this. I hope that. I hope it doesn't rain next Friday. I hope, well, when you and I as humans talk about hope, We talk about it from the idea, from the standpoint of a wish. Almost as if, you know, if I could arrange things in a certain way, I would wish that such and such would be the case. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you this morning, that's not the hope that Simon Peter is referring to. You see, this word hope literally means, in the original language, full assurance It means confident expectation. It means moral certainty. Now listen carefully, ladies and gentlemen. It literally means that beyond the shadow of any doubt, this is absolutely true. This is absolutely certain that you and I can place full, unwavering confidence and assurance in what is being said or presented and Simon Peter is saying, under the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, I want you readers to know who live in Asia Minor, those of you that are being persecuted, those of you that are suffering, those of you that have gone through hard times, I want to remind you today, and he's writing to us, the listener today, on Easter Sunday 2019, I want you to know that there is a living hope that you and I have because of the resurrection Of Jesus Christ. He said that God has birthed us. God has begotten us into this living hope. Why? How? By or through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, the fact that Jesus rose again. Made this hope possible. It has been said that. To lose one's hope is perhaps the most tragic thing that can ever happen in life. One writer wrote that many people place their hope in things that are fleeting. Money. Fame. Power. And on and on we could go. Yet to hope in such things is really to be hopeless. Because such things one day will come to an end. To have hope in them is to have only a dead hope. And praise be to God, as Simon Peter said, you and I do not have, as children of God, a dead hope. We have a living hope. 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen says, if in this world, in this life only, we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. In other words, if our hope is dead, if our hope ends with the grave, then we have no hope at all, and we just as well be as miserable as everybody else is. Simon Peter says, blessed be God. It's as though Peter wants to pause and testify and thank God for the wonderful work that he has done in his life. All because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Blessed be the Lord. He's saying here, you know what he's saying? Praise be to God. I want to start off, he says, by praising our great and glorious God. And I want to say to you this morning, man, we ought to have the spirit of celebration. We ought to have the spirit of anticipation. And there is nothing in this world and everything right. With you and I who are children of God. Raising a hand and saying I want you to know. That I give glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. You see our living hope was produced by the resurrection of Jesus. Hope rose up when Christ rose from the dead. Hope came alive when Jesus came alive. And I want to make three simple applications this morning to this statement that he makes that we have a living hope I want you to notice first of all friends that because of this living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus there is hope for those who have messed up now I know it's Sunday I know it's Easter I know that we have our Easter Sunday get-ups on. I know s- some folks that went and bought ties and bow ties and colorful outfits and just to look schnazzy on Easter Sunday morning. And by the way, y'all look schnazzy, don't you? Give, hey, I'm telling you, all of y'all look schnazzy today. But you know what I know as schnazzy as we look? I don't even know what schnazzy means, but it sounds good, right? As schnazzy as you look, here's what I know about every single person who sits in this room. We've all messed up. Even as Christians, we've all messed up. When we start looking for the perfect people around here, guess what? We're going to have to keep looking. Because there's not anyone in here that's perfect. We've all messed up. We've all failed. We've all made blunders. Everybody lives with regrets. From one degree or another. It was October 25th, 1986. His name was Bill Buckner. He was a first baseman for the Boston Red Sox. Man, it had been a long time since the Red Sox had been in that position. It was the 10th inning. They had an opportunity in that game to clinch the World Series. They were playing the New York Mets in front of, what? They were playing the New York Mets in front of 55,078 people. Did you know that Bill Buckner had a lifetime batting average of almost 300? That's pretty solid. Very solid. Very few players ever go through their their career averaging 300 batting average. He played 22 years in the major leagues. Did you know Bill Buckner was an all-star? Did you know most people don't remember Bill Buckner for being a nearly 300 average they don't remember Bill Buckner for being an all star they don't remember Bill Buckner for being a solid player for 22 years in the majors you know what most people that follow baseball and follow sports will remember Bill Buckner for they'll remember Bill Buckner for in the bottom of the 10th when Mookie Wilson hit a routine grounder now those of you who have played baseball or softball and played in the infield. I want you to think about something. How many thousands. Thousands. Of ground balls. Do you think Bill Buckner. Dealt with. Successfully. Navigated. And made the play on. And his. Ever since T ball. No telling how many. And yet he's not going to be remembered and he's not going to go down in history for every one of those successful plays that he made. Bill Buckner's going to go down, unfortunately, in history for what happened when Mookie Wilson hit that grounder up the first baseline. And Bill Buckner, the man who had done this tens of thousands of times, put his glove down on the ground. But apparently he didn't get it down far enough. And Mookie Wilson's hit rolled just barely under his glove. Some of y'all remember it. Rolled under his glove and out into right field. And Ray Knight for the New York Mets came around third and scored the winning run. And the New York Mets went on to win in game seven, the World Series. a routine grounder that he had practiced and successfully fielded thousands of times before caused what would become the biggest regret of his life do you live with any regrets sure you do you having skeletons in your closet everyone does you have any haunting memories absolutely You ever wish you could rewind the clock and rectify a past mistake? If you're human, you do. Is there really hope for people that mess up? Surveys have been done on listing the top ten things that people regret in their life. Top ten most shameful moments in life. Top ten things that if they could keep hidden from the eyes of everybody else, they sure would. Some individuals would say, I regret that divorce. Some would say, I regret that abortion. Some would say, I regret that affair. I regret that incident where I took money and embezzled. They'd say, I, I, I regret not having a conversation with so-and-so before they died. I regret how I treated my parents and I never made it right. I regret that I didn't take better care of myself physically. I regret that I didn't live for God when I had the chance. I regret this decision that I made when I was 18, 19, 20, 21 years old that set the course of my life and now I can't go back and undo it. is there's not one person sitting in here if you're old enough to understand what I'm saying there's not one person that doesn't live with regret but is there really hope for people that mess up well I'll tell you what let's do don't take my word for it let's ask Simon Peter let's ask the one who the Holy Spirit inspired to pen this letter right here hey Simon did you ever mess up he sure did You talk about a routine grounder? Yeah. Simon Peter went so far when he was with Jesus in Matthew 26 where he said, uh, Simon Peter looked at Jesus and he said, Though all men shall be offended because of you, yet will I not be offended, Lord. Jesus said, Simon, let me tell you something. He said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me, how many times? Three times. And Simon Peter got indignant with Jesus. Uh-uh, no, 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 Lord. Though I should die with you, I will never deny you, Jesus. No, sir. No, sir, emphatically. I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus. You're wrong. You're wrong. I'm never going to do that. Mm-mm, not me. Now, these other fellas now, I'm a little suspect of them. But not me, Lord. Uh-uh. I'll, hey, I'll go to prison. I'll pull out my sword and fight for you. I'll even die for you, Lord. Okay. Routine grounder. I got this, Lord. I'm big, I'm bold, I'm bad. I'm not embarrassed of you. I'm not ashamed of you. I got this. This is a routine grounder. And yet that routine grounder proved to be the biggest regret of Simon Peter's life. Because just a few hours later, after these words came out of the mouth of Jesus and out of the mouth of Simon Peter. You know what he did. Three different times, three different occasions, boom, 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 in succession, right behind one another, probably an hour apart. He denied Jesus. How do you think Simon Peter felt? You've been there. I have to you you and i have felt the sting of regret and remorse you and i have felt felt that 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 pain in the pit of our stomach when we know we know we've messed up and just the time Simon Peter denied Jesus the last time he was in close enough proximity They were leading Jesus to a different location, leading him out in chains. And the Bible says that as soon as he denied Jesus that third time, he looked up and guess who was walking by? And guess whose eyes caught his? And you knew, and he knew that Jesus knew. ran off He couldn't show his face you ever been there you know what it is not to not even not want to show your face to anybody else but not to even want to see your own face and look in the mirror but Jesus did something he orchestrated something When the woman came, the women came to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. And the angel was there. (laughs) And here's the message from the angel directly from God to the disciples. Listen carefully. Go your way and tell his disciples and Simon Peter that he goes before you into Galilee. There you shall see him as he said unto you. I want you to go tell him and make sure you tell Simon Peter specifically that I want to see him too. I want to meet up with him too, just like I promised that I would do. Lord, not me. Lord, I'm 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 a mess up. Lord, I'm a reject. You don't want me. And God could have said, Simon, I'm done with you. I told you. I told you this was going to happen, but you didn't believe me. You were so proud and egotistical and self-willed. Forget you. Fooey on you. He could have said that. He could have done that. But how many of you this morning thank God that he didn't do that right? He doesn't throw the clay away. Can I get an amen right there? You say, oh, I'm glad God's the God of the second chance. Are you hearing me this morning? He's not just the God of the second chance. He's the God of the billionth chance. In fact, my Bible teaches me and it teaches you that you and I cannot outrun and we cannot outsend the grace and love and mercy of God. Are you surprised by the fact that Simon Peter's the one who 50 days later preached a sermon about Jesus being alive and 3,000 people got saved? Are you shocked and surprised that now 30 years later he's one of the leaders of the early church and he's being used by the Lord to pen these words not just for the Christians in Asia Minor but for everybody sitting in this room this morning? (laughs) Preacher, is there really hope? Yeah. Is there really hope for people that mess up? Yeah. There's hope for people that mess up. I want you to know there's hope for people, number two. There's hope for people that are hurting. There's hope for people that are broken. Now remember, gang, the context of 1 Peter. He's writing to these Christians that were flat out worn down. They were being persecuted and threatened. They had been scattered from their homes. They'd had to pick up from where they were and move to a whole different land, and territory because of persecution. They were being threatened with physical harm and physical danger. If you don't move, we're going to kill you. They were being driven out. Can you imagine that? They were financially destitute. They had lost their jobs just because they were Christians, just because they identified with Christ. They were hurting. As I look around this room this morning, I see hurting people for one reason or another for some in this room it's because of a death of a loved one that you are you are grieving and even though it may have been weeks and months it is still just as fresh and fresh today as it was when they said goodbye to this world you're hurting there are others in this room And you're hurting because you've been betrayed and abandoned by someone that you thought would never do that to you. And the sting and wound is still there. And you're broken. Some of you this morning, you're broken Because there's a burden in your life and something going on. It is so heavy. It's and and you think, man, I don't even know how to talk to anybody about it. It's just so heavy. It weighs on my mind, my spirit, my emotions. It clouds and colors every day of my life. I am a broken person. Is there a living hope for the broken? Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Hear the word of the Lord today. That's exactly who he was writing to. He's writing to you. Can he really heal your brokenness? I'll tell you what let's do. Let's ask Mary Magdalene. She was one of the six women who at various times came to visit the tomb, and we see her in John 20 verse 11, it says that she stood outside of the tomb and she was just standing there weeping weeping, crying that word weep there means an uncontrolled cry she's sobbing like (gasps) you ever cried like that? you ever seen somebody cry like that where they trembled? why in the world was she crying? because it wasn't Bad enough that her Savior, her Lord, her Master, the one that she loved and followed was dead. I mean, she stood at the foot of the cross and watched him be crucified. But now, according to her thinking, somebody has come, rolled the stone away, and stolen his body. Can you believe it? And we don't even know where they put him. How disgraceful, how disheartening, how burdensome that is. We can't even anoint his body now. (sighs) She's weeping. And I love what Jesus does. He simply stands by her. She doesn't even recognize him, maybe even because of how many tears were in her eyes. And he simply just says her name, Mary. You see, Mary had hung around Jesus long enough. And Mary had such a special relationship, like everybody does with Christ, that when he says her name, she knew immediately, wait a minute, this is no gardener here. (laughs) I recognize that voice. but it's too good to be true. Is it really you? And she probably took her hands and wiped the tears away and looked up and sure enough, it was him. See, I want to tell you today that Jesus Christ is the cure for your brokenness and your disillusionment and your hurt and your discouragement and your despondency. I don't know what you're going through today. Some of you are filled with questions that are absolutely driving you crazy. I can't answer all those questions. But I know the one that can. And I know he can bring the healing to your life and your heart that you need. Christian, is there a living hope for those that mess up? Oh, friend, I'm so glad that there is. <laughs> Christian, is there living hope? Is there hope for those that are broken? Oh, oh, I'm so glad that there is. And Christian, how about for those that are unbelieving? Is there hope even for the unbelieving? It's interesting what Simon Peter says here in verse 3. It says that he has birthed us, he's begotten us. It's the word that's used in 1 Peter 1.23 where he talks about we're, we were born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible seed by the word of God. It's the idea of God birthing us in this second birth that he talked about in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. You must be born again. He says it twice. You must be born again. Born again? Born again? That's the second birth. That's not a natural birth. That's a supernatural birth. That's a spiritual birth. But is there enough today because this room in here today are individuals and Bless your heart, and I love you, and Jesus loves you. I'm so glad you're here, but you're wondering, you're thinking, you know what, is there enough to convince me? I've heard the claims of Christ before, Christian. You're not going to impress me. You're not going to dazzle me. You're not going to move me or affect me or change my opinion. Is there enough to convince me? Well, let's ask Thomas. You see, Thomas wasn't there initially when Jesus appeared. And so they told him, listen, he's alive. He was here a while ago. And in in John 20, 25, uh, they said, we've seen the Lord. And he says, Thomas says, "Uh -uh, uh -uh, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Unless I see his hands and the nail prints, unless I actually take my fingers and put my hand on the prints, I want to touch his scars. I will not believe. You're not going to convince me? You can't prove to me that he exists, that he's alive, that he came back to life. I love what R.A. Torrey said. He said, but suppose Jesus did rise from the dead. I mean, let's just say he did. What of it, he said. What does his resurrection prove? It proves everything that most needs to be proved, he said. It proves everything that is essential to Christianity. And I say amen to that. And I remind you, he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. Now, ladies and gentlemen, look at me. Please. If Jesus Christ rose again from the dead nobody's ever done that before by his own power you have to you have to admit there's something significant about the claims of jesus that sets him apart from everybody else in this entire universe and if that's true And you have have to deal personally with his claim to be Lord and Savior. Because you and I can't be neutral at that point. Lee Strobel was a legal editor for the Chicago Tribune. He was an award-winning expert in investigative reporting. He had a master's degree from Yale Law School. And his wife began to go to a Bible study group, eventually began to go to church, and she was converted to Christ. This irritated him to no end. He set out to prove her wrong. After months of thorough investigation, Lee Strobel himself, after months of investigation, he's an expert investigative reporter. He too trusted in Jesus. He set out to disprove everything that he had been told about Christianity. And yet, it convinced him. His reasoning, and I quote, I didn't become a Christian because God promised I'd have an even happier life than I had as an atheist, he said. Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling That Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved who He was by rising from the dead. He proved it, friend. And if He is alive, then you have to either embrace Him and receive Him or reject Him. And while I've been talking to you, dear friends, on the outside, that same Jesus through his Holy Spirit has been talking to us on the inside. You say, well, preacher, I'm not ready to do that. I I need more evidence. No, you don't. I need more time. No. Because friend, 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you were to die right now, do you know for sure that you're ready and prepared to meet Him?